Your gut is always right. Listen to your inner teacher. There have been so many times that she has whispered in my ear, but I didn't listen. Welcome to Reinvention Revels. Stories of brave and unapologetic women, 50 to 90 years young, who have boldly reimagined life on their own terms to find new purpose and possibilities. I'm your host, Wendy Battles. Ready for a dose of inspiration? Let's get to it. My guest today, Sharon Chappelle, is kick-ass smart, creative, adventurous, healthy, and oh-so-fun. I've had the pleasure of knowing Sharon for 20-something years. We met when we both were diversity trainers at the Anti-Defamation League, which, quite frankly, seems like forever ago. She holds both a master's degree and a PhD in social work, has worked in a multitude of organizations in the areas of inclusion and diversity leadership coaching. She has taught at numerous universities and is currently an associate professor at Ashford University. Add to that certified yoga, meditation, and Reiki instructor. And that's just a sampling of Sharon's awesomeness. Nowadays, I keep up with Sharon, who has moved to Southern Spain via Instagram and Facebook and can't get enough of the interesting and adventurous life that she leads. She is a true reinvention rebel unapologetically creating an interesting, juicy life in her 60s. Sharon Chappell, welcome to Reinvention Rebels. Wendy, I'm so glad to be here. I'm excited. You know, you are someone I truly consider to be a reinvention rebel. You've made bold choices. You've reinvented yourself in such interesting ways. You live in Spain at 67, which is so cool because you know, like I'm all about, maybe I could live abroad one day. She's my role model for that. And you just do really cool things. Like I see you on Instagram in great photos doing handstands. The coolest things with this beautiful 67 year old body. And you know, you make this delicious food. It's just really awesome. I have to know, did you intentionally set out to reimagine your life in this way? That's a really interesting question. No, that's the short answer. The long answer is, I think over time, if I really look back, if I were to look back at just just this, say the jobs that I've done, the things that I've done, pretty much every seven years I did something different. Roughly, pretty much that's true. And I've always been a sort of go with the flow kind of person with this very interesting mix of traditionalists, if that makes any sense whatsoever. I never, if you told me, because this process of moving to Spain actually took us, I want to say four or five years, actually. Not that we knew it would be Spain, but we kind of knew that we were clear we weren't sure what we were going to do. 
And in thinking about it in that way, there was just so much we had to put in place in order to do that. So if you would have said five years ago, you're going to be living in Spain, I would have said, this is something wrong. Six years ago, I would have said, there's something wrong with you. There's no way that that's going to happen. It's like my Spanish is from high school and like one year in, in undergrad, right? And, and, and I hadn't really used it. So if you would have said I'd be living in Spain, I would have said, I don't know who you're talking about. No way whatsoever. I don't think so. But yet here you are. Exactly. What are some of the things that you did in that four or five years in planning to actually end up here? We had a house uh, and raised our kids in Connecticut. And when our oldest was in high school, we actually said to them, we're not so, you'll graduate from school here um, in in Middletown. We lived in Middletown. But after that, you know, all bets are off. (laughs) We're going to be out of here. Uh, and we decided to move to Florida. And so we sold our house and sold. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's like 20 something years in a house. It was crazy. Uh, and we had a smaller house built in Florida and we moved there. Uh, we moved to Fort Myers, Florida. In some ways, probably should have researched a little bit more about the area because it wasn't exactly a perfect fit for us being Northeasterners, which generally people travel, uh, if they're going to relocate from the Northeast, they do the 95 corridor, not the 75 corridor, which is pretty much Midwest. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, sensibility. Yeah. And so we lived there, we had the house, you know, we built the house with a pool. Fred's like, that's my husband, for those who don't know. Fred's like, well, do you have to have a pool? I said, you're not moving me to Florida without a pool and I need at least two palm trees. <laughs> You had a vision. If you're going to move, you had this vision of like, I need this. Exactly. And so we um, were in that house for, oh my gosh, maybe it was about seven years. And we decided, it was actually when the housing market started to do that dive. And we were like, okay, we really need to get out while we can. Uh, And we sold the house and the house sold actually the date was listed actually sold in hours. We were not prepared whatsoever. Uh, And after we sold the house, people in the kids in particular were like, what are you going to do? And we're like, do you want to reinvest and buy? And we're like, no, because we're not so sure we're going to stay here. And we really didn't know. We really had no clue. We continued to stay in the Fort Myers area, had a condo. Um, we're really blessed enough to get a, a condo. We rented on the water in the, on the Cluchahatchee. So it's the Gulf of Mexico and it was very nice, lovely high rise, never lived in the high rise, but we were not feeling staying in the West coast of Florida, moved to the East coast of Florida and Pompano, smaller space again, always downsizing. Ah, so that was almost preparing you. It sounds like for this different life. Exactly. And it's hard to downsize at particularly at this age. And I, like I said about this traditionalist me, I'm attached to certain things, you know, you know, Colin had the, my buddy doll. I I kept the, my buddy doll and and Teddy Ruskin and Fred's like, we got to throw it away. I'm like, no, no. I can see that being a challenge too, because I think we're so tied to like our past. There's things that kind of keep us connected. Absolutely. Special moments and memories. So it's hard to let go of that stuff. Right. We spent a fortune packing up stuff for all three kids and shipping it to them. Now, whether they all kept them, 
I don't want to know, but we did. Um, and so we continued to downsize. What happened was how we ended up here in Spain is I have a friend that I met some years ago, probably like 13 or 14 now. Some years ago when we were in Fort Myers, I actually met her at a happy hour and she's from England. We became very close friends and her sister lived in this particular town. I didn't know that until about three or four years ago. She came back with pictures and she showed them to us. And we were like, hmm, this is a really pretty place. Never been. (laughs) No clue whatsoever. And she said she's moving there. And I'm like, huh. So Fred and I talked a little bit and said, what's the worst that can happen, right? You don't like it, you come back. So that's how we ended up here. There's a lot more in that story about the the transition and all that, but that's how we ended up here. She was going to be here first. She wasn't for many reasons. So we ended up here actually after Fred's initial surgery, Uh, we ended up here. Wow. And that, and so you've been there for how long now? It'll be two years come December. It's been an interesting transition. We do love it here, though. We we love it. We entertain. We've been to Spain before, but it was, you know, for vacation. Love Barcelona. Could I live there? If I were younger, I would probably say yes. I would probably say yes. Yeah. A much livelier um, city, a university city, you know. But this is a perfect pace for us, and it allows us to get around to other places in Spain. Right. So have you been traveling a lot? I mean, do, do I assume that you don't have a car? Is that... We do not have a car. How awesome. Talk about giving up stuff. Right. It was... <laughs> I'm laughing because <laughs> when... Fred's car died, and so we watched it get taken away. It was like, well, it's useless. We're not going to be using it anyway. We're going to be going to Spain. My car, I needed a new car, so it was a fairly new car, and I loved it, actually. And we kept it in storage. So when it came time last October, actually, for the it was leased, the lease to be up, I'm like, I can't believe I'm giving up a car. But we didn't use it. We didn't, you don't need it. At first, I thought we would be shipping a car or buying a car. It's like, you don't need it here. Honestly, we walk maybe, I don't even know, five minutes to the bus station. It's not like what we, our concept of bus station is because it's outside. In Spain, you can get to anywhere from here, honestly, by bus, the connections to the train and airport. So in this little town, I say little, it's little in a way. It still has a bus system. We walk everywhere. The lifestyle is very different. And I don't miss a car. Driving is interesting when I'm back, though. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it is when you haven't done it for a while and you're kind of getting used to it again. Right. Exactly. You know, we get to a certain age and we're kind of thinking about our future. There's a lot of unknowns and it, it feels to me exciting and sort of bold to not just move to Florida where I know a lot of people are somewhere warmer where many of us in the U.S. might decide to go, but to cross the pond and, and actually be in a completely different country with a different culture and a different way of life. What has that been like to adjust to that? Well, there are a few things in adjusting. You're always, you know, as a person of color, you're always wondering how you're going to be received. Absolutely. And what it's going to be like to actually live in a place, different traveling, very different traveling. And this is not an area that's big. It is diverse, but diverse in a very interesting way. Racially, 
sort of diverse. Mostly people of color are African nationals of very, from various countries. There are some, you know, that might be from Northern Africa. There are Moroccans and uh, Casablancans and people that are from Casablanca. And you get, but you do get a lot of sub-Saharan folks and further south. I mean, in, in the whole, from the whole continent of Africa. Um, and their reception of us is different than those that are European. I couldn't get people to look me in the eye to even say hello. It's fascinating. It's been fascinating to sort of look at it from that perspective, particularly being someone who's been in, in inclusion and diversity, thinking, oh, hey, I go, hola. And it's like, nobody even looked <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Don't know what that's about exactly. I'm not sure what that's about. Because my hair is locked, we figured piece of that is my hair is locked. Lots and lots and lots of stairs. Lots and lots. I can't tell you. It was sort of uncomfortable at first. You know, it's like, so why are you looking at me? And it's like, I don't like, I'm not a person that likes to walk around with a chip on my shoulder. But it was so uncomfortable. People stopping and staring or little kids asking, because I can understand enough to know what they're asking about hair. In this area, there are a lot of British of all races who vacation here or holiday, as they say. And there are a lot of people from Scandinavian countries that vacation here. What you hear is either the Andalusians, which is the area in Spain where we live, and you can tell the Andalusians because they do not in their syllables. It's very hard to understand them Spanish-wise. They speak incredibly fast. If I'm in Barcelona and you're speaking Spanish, not Catalan, I can understand you. When we go back now to Miami, I'm like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> but here, the speech is so fast. You sit there and you go, we look at each other and we go, did you get a word? Like, I think I got like two words, but I'm not exactly sure. The reception is more you're American unless that you're a person of color. Okay. And Americans, you are hard I saw a group of sisters last year coming from the beach because I could hear and I'm going, oh, I wanted to yell from the balcony and Fred goes, don't do that. <laughs> They're like me. I, I, I can relate to them. Hi. I'm like, hola. <laughs> Want to have a drink? <laughs> yeah. I can totally see like that. Like, you know, how do you make it? Because I guess that's the question. When you up and move especially perhaps later in life where I just think generally sometimes it's hard to make connections with people. You know, when yeah. I was younger, right. I would make friends so easily right. and the older I get, it feels different. So how do you create community? You're, you know, in a new place with mm. a very different culture as you're explaining the culture is so different than being here. How do you, how have you found that? And how, and what have the two of you done to create community? We, joined the International Club de Nira, which is maybe about two blocks from here, walkable. Um, found out about it, read about it a little bit. They do trips, you know, and so we're like, oh, this is going to be good. This will be a good way for us to meet people. And although it says International Club, it's largely run by British. There is an American club, which is run by British. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That is, there's, that's odd. Yeah. 
It's interesting. When we talk to people, we met a stranger, and I'll, I'll get back to the, the club. We met a stranger. We were coming from the grocery store. We met this guy. He was British. He was looking to buy a restaurant, and we started off this conversation. He says, you're American. And we said, yes. He was white. We said, yes. And he said, Americans don't travel. And it's fascinating. All the travel we've done with our kids since they were little and in utero, I can count the number of times that we did run into an American on my hands because we as a whole, regardless of race, don't tend to travel outside of the United States much. I'm sure it's a combination of things. So we had this great conversation with him. He said, they don't travel, let alone move here. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah, we're like, yeah, we're odd. (laughs) But at any rate, the club allowed us to meet. There are Canadians who come. There are a lot of people who just will winter here, so to speak, like snowbirds go to Florida. So we met some Canadians and some Brits. And there, there are a couple of couples who are American. but. Through the travel, and a lot of it's on the bus, and it's, they have someone who talks about the history, and we've go, gone to places that are just unbelievable. And this particular area has a very strong history with Moors and Africa. And so you will see places that you, that look um, mosque-like, for lack of a better way of putting it, that are now cathedrals and churches. Are you thinking, I'll have some of what she's having? Reinvention ripples are amazing, as you can hear from our discussion. They've put themselves first, decided their dreams matter, and are taking action. They have unleashed their inner rebel and are living on purpose in midlife. Are you ready to start putting yourself first and embark on your midlife dreams, focused on what you want, not others' ideas of what you should do? Come check out my new audio course, Midlife Reinvention from the Inside Out, Eight Essentials to Greenlight Your Life. I share my roadmap to get you started on your reinvention journey with the key components you need to navigate detours and get on the road to smooth reinvention sailing. Sis, it is time to give yourself the green light to shine in midlife and crush those dreams of yours with joy and purpose. Join today and let's reinvent and get inspired together. Details are in the show notes. Yes, I've I've known that from just yeah. my trip to Spain and I think we were in we were in Sevilla. And yeah. yeah, and it was so beautiful. And yeah, so I know what you mean about that Moorish kind of feel. Yeah. Beautiful, really beautiful. So it's a that's been great, but it's not like we're not kind of the hangout people. Go to tapas, have a couple of drinks. You know, we'll, we'll do that, but largely you're more selective the older you get with your friends, anyway. Yeah, and that doesn't change at all, actually. Um, so there are a couple of couples, one in particular that we met that we really like a lot, but they are not here full time. We'll go to things. But it's difficult to sort of have ongoing kind of sense of community. I was looking for a couple of like an African dance class. I even thought about going to flamenco classes, but they're all in they're in Malaga. So that means, you know, it's like an hour there on a bus. You go to class an hour back, you know, so it does make it a little hard. The things that I like doing. So 
I decided I would start teaching yoga at the club as a way to begin to build community. Uh, and Fred um, was going to be starting to teach Tai Chi. And then we have COVID. I was supposed to start this oh, spring. Oh, okay. Yeah. That got in the way. Yeah. So totally changed everything. So it's a little bit challenging in, in that regard. It, it would be easy if we were probably in a little larger place, mm-hmm. but it is a bit challenging. It sounds like also uh, in, in the midst of some of the challenges that you're also kind of figuring out your way. That you're, exactly. As you kind of eat. I mean, and I, I, that makes sense. The longer you're there, the more you get to know the place and you are exposed to other people that you might either, whether you randomly meet them or you meet them through other people, but that's, I guess it's like moving anywhere, right? Over time, you kind right. of find your tribe, but it's not like they show up day one. Exactly. For sure. I like that because that, that also means that you can create that, like, right? Any of us can create this sense of home no matter where we are, whether we're in the U.S., whether we're abroad somewhere, it's really what we make it to be. Right. It sounds like you guys have done a really good job of kind of figuring that out. I know that, you know, I have these very romanticized ideas of moving abroad Mm. because it all sounds good. And, you know, it's like a montage in a movie, but then there's the reality of it. Mm -hmm. It's never, nothing is ever that simple. What would you say is the biggest challenge that you've experienced in, you know, kind of changing your life in this way, you know, moving abroad? I would say the biggest challenge for us is language. Honestly, we don't live in a city like Barcelona that, you know, most people speak English, you know, you, you can get it get by really very well. Here, there was this idea in our head because we've been to other places in Spain. Of course, a lot of people speak spoke English. Here, it's it's not true. That's the biggest challenge. And I would say second to that is adjusting to things. You are We are so accustomed as Americans to have everything big. That used to be a joke I used to share or, or a, a concept we talk about in diversity training. Everything in the U.S. is big. The country is big. The houses are big. The cars are big. The streets are big. Everything is big and wide, and it's true. So when you move here and you go, what the heck is this little teeny refrigerator? What am I supposed to do with this? You become really aware of the mentality of, I got to have it. I need to make sure I have it just in case I need it. But do I really need all of these? Yes, I really need all of these. I need white pepper, black pepper, multiple colored pepper. I need all those peppers. However, you look at your cabinet space and all those peppers aren't fitting. Um, So space, the economy of space here, you learn. I love shoes. Where are my shoes? They're all under the beds, plural. (laughs) (laughs) And do you actually wear all those shoes that you love so much? No. Right. Because that's what I always feel like. I've, I've realized that as I'm getting older, like my life can be much simpler. Like I think that I thought before I needed all these things. Yeah. And I've come to realize that I, I don't actually need that much. No. I feel like that will help me when I'm, I'm 55 at some point I'll retire and we'll, we'll downsize like you did, but I don't need all this stuff that I have. And I don't have, you know, kids to have all this memorabilia and those kinds of things, but I still have a basement full of stuff. Right. Regardless. Right. Right. So, which I, but I'm thinking, why do I, why do I feel like I need all that stuff? So I think for all of us, there can be this realization. Right. And you realize you, there's no such thing as closets. 
you know, uh, there's no built-in. Cl- I mean, those are the things that's a just, that's been a challenge. I'm the stuff person. And even with all the downsizing that we did, Fred would say, you have a lot of stuff. And I would go, I know, but look at all I got rid of. I mean, I got rid of a lot. Like, I did good. I did good, right? I... <laughs> but it's still the volume. Hey, Reinvention Rebels. Want to have Reinvention Rebels inspiration delivered to your inbox? Head over to reinventionrebels.com and sign up for my news and notes. So I want to ask you about yoga. I am so fascinated by <laughs> how how you started doing yoga at 60. Yes. And right, you're 67 now, so you've been doing it for seven years. And to me, it appears to me that you do amazing things with your body. And when I say that, I look on Instagram and I see you doing handstands and I think, I don't think I could ever do that. And I, you know, I've dabbled in yoga over the years. I'm not like a, I'm not super into it, but I enjoy it. So I, I really want to know how did you start? Because I think so many women, as we age, you know, our relationship with our body changes and we don't always feel positive about that relationship. You know, we gain weight Mm. Things settle and we don't feel like we might have felt really good about our body when we're younger, but it's different as we age. So how did you start and how has that helped you with your relationship with your body? I started yoga. My Zumba teacher taught yoga after Zumba. This was in Fort Myers. Now, I had entertained the thought of yoga before, but in all honesty, I was very much there's been lots of changes. Um, Well, not lots, but lots of discussion about sort of the whitewashing of yoga, for lack of a better way of putting it, even though it's not European. And I've entertained it, but I'm like, I don't necessarily want to go if I'm the only person of color in the room. That was my original stance. And I would see signs, but I wouldn't go. Anyway, love Becky to death. And she was a Zumba teacher and I would watch them after and she would say, okay, those are the going to yoga. And they go over to this, it was in a, like a indoor skating place and they go to the room and I'm like, one of these days I'm going to go one of these days. So one day I did go and it was small. It felt very close and too close for me. It's like people's feet and whatever. It just was too close for me. So I did go that one time and I said, I, I liked it. I didn't, feel like I got enough instruction about what was happening. And she did yin yoga, which yin is you hold poses anywhere between three and five minutes, which is a deep stretch. Oh, yeah. That's a long time. Yeah. Deep stretch. Deep stretch. I love teaching it now. I love teaching it. Um, she started doing them in the park that was down the street from where we live in the condo. And I was like, yes, I can get into this. And it felt better and better. And then she started doing it at the beach. And then I sort of um, said, if you're going to commit, literally one day just clicked. I was sitting out on the lanai and I said, if you're going to commit, then you need to do this every day. So you're going to commit to doing something yoga like every day. And I did. And I started by watching and using YouTube yoga with Adrian. That's how I started, really. And 
it was hard and I didn't know the poses. And sometimes the, you know, they're naming the poses in Sanskrit. And I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? You know, it's like, (laughs) (laughs) I know know what you mean. I I totally understand that. What down dog I get, but what is that? um, And I committed to every day. And I think because in reality, I think the meditation limb of yoga brought me to the asana practice. I have been meditating years before that. I've been meditating now for going on 11, 12 years. When I start to understand that meditation was yoga, as I'm learning, as I'm going into doing asana, the postures, I'm like, oh. So some people enter by doing the physical practice first and begin to understand that yoga is way more than just handstanding or standing in tree pose or whatever it is. It's way more than that. Uh, Pranayama, your breath work. I started really going, oh, so I've been a yogi for way longer than I thought I was. (laughs) I just didn't know it. I didn't know it. I was clueless. I was totally clueless. And then I decided that I, you know, was going to get certified whether I taught or not. But my idea was to bring it to the community. And I taught free community classes when we were in Florida at a beach. And, and I started doing private classes for people who were my age or who were looking to do more strength training or, or whatever. Um, and never really wanted to work for a, a studio. I did go to one studio once and I didn't have a positive experience. A lot of people of color feel that way. They go to a studio and there it's not very welcoming. You know, it's supposed to be this big sort of, oh, wonderful community of people. And you walk in and it's like you put down your mat and someone gives you the evil eye because your mat is where her friend puts her mat. Yeah, there's like often unwritten rules. And I always feel validated when I find out like maybe a white person had the same experience of not feeling welcome. And I'm like, well, maybe it's just the culture of the community versus it's me as a black person. But it's always hard to know to your point. Like you don't really know. And I think sometimes we assume that, you know, I can certainly assume the worst. Exactly. When it's not always even the case, that might not be the case at all, but that's sort of like how I might perceive it. Right. And I'm one because of the kind of work that I've done. And because of my training, you know, I clearly said, I love the owner. The owner was wonderful, but she wasn't the one teaching the classes. And I said, here's something I want you to know. This is why I'm not coming back. And I told her. And what did she say? Well, what I said to her was, what you need to understand is, is that if you want market share, I went from it from a business standpoint of diversity. As, as demographics are changing, if you want market share and you want your studio to grow, then you're going to have to do way better with training the people who teach here. And here's what my experience was as a woman of color. And this is why I'm not coming back. And she said, she was so apologetic and so, you know, I can't believe it. I'm so upset. I just never really thought about it. And I said, you don't know what you don't know. But when you do, you are now responsible for change. That was it. And I I didn't. I never went back. So, um, and so I've done a lot of training. It's a nice um, sort of marriage of things for me in this field. So I've done some work. I went to the Big Bear Yoga Festival out in California last October and did some work around how do you make sure that your your studio, you're, you're being inclusive in your language and um, welcoming and who do you choose for your teachers, those kinds of things. So it's been, it's been interesting. 
So, yeah, I kind of and let me tell you, I'll tell this for people who are listening. There is no way you would have told me that I would be standing on my hands or my head. Seriously. I know because I looked at that and I thought I could never do that. You know, I think that I think that sometimes, though, we we make assumptions about ourselves. I certainly do about myself, about sometimes we put our, our own limits on ourselves. Correct. And I, I looked at you and I thought, oh, wow, that's so inspiring the way that she can do that. But I don't think I can do that. But how do I know? How do you know? Right. If you can do it, well, maybe that means I could do it too. I haven't right. tried it. I have, And I don't have all, all the you know training that you've done. This Because part of what I heard you say is that you've done it very consistently. Exactly. You've done this training consistently and you also made a commitment to yourself. And I think as women, sometimes, you know, we try things or we give up or we, we just don't always value ourselves enough to really make that commitment. And, and part of what I hear you saying is when I, when, when you did that, you then saw these results Yeah, that really, you know, right. So like, what, what are the things that you've, you've gained from doing? I mean, you, you also talked about your meditation practice, but even from both of those things, since they're both really about meditation, what have you gained from that, that you think would be helpful to, you know, our reinvention rebels in training, people that really want to kind of step out of their comfort zone and really kind of go after what they, they really want as they age. What are some of the benefits you've received from doing that? Big benefit physically, honestly. Yeah, um, as they say, you're only as healthy as your spine is flexible. And, you know, as we age, you know, there's all that calcium stuff and how much physical activity do you really do? And it's just not about, you know, a jog here and there and lifting. How much flexibility and how much mobility do you have? And I would say that that's probably one of the biggest benefits is my flexibility and mobility, my strength. You know, people say, oh, my God, you got to be strong to hold your body body up. And I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of weight for me to be holding up here, too. (laughs) But what you but what you realize is, is that it's all how strong is your at how strong are your abs? It's all core. There is, you know, some strength in the fact of your hands. But honestly, to be able to get up there and hold it, it's core. It's your core. Mm-hmm. And I think it has made me really more mindful. I'm probably more mindful than I've ever been. I'm usually quick to react like, OK, calm yourself down. Don't overreact. Chill a minute before the stuff comes out of your mouth that you really don't mean. You're feeling a little heated at the moment. I am much more, okay, take a moment. Let's just chillax. <laughs> it happens without me really having to tell myself, like being a situation, a store, anything. It's like, well, I just held the door for you. You're not going to say thank you. See, in the past, I would say, you're welcome. Uh, yeah. And now I'm like, okay, so maybe you're having a bad day and I'm going to, I'm just going to let it go. It's like, I did my good deed for the day. Moving on. <laughs> it's like, I'm, that's it. Um, so those are really the biggest benefits I think. And I, I think part of what you said was it's commitment to self, but it's also follow through. I think a lot of, we make commitments, but we don't follow through. So many times I made commitments to myself. Well, I'll follow through. I'm like, I'm in it for the first couple of weeks. And then it's like, hmm, okay. Yeah, exactly. That's like, I'm going to become vegan. Well, I, I did, I did that for a few weeks, but then it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. I had a lot of preparation and I was like, 
I can't really maintain this. So it, I, I, you know, and I, but then I decided, but you know what, Wendy, you don't have to be hundred percent vegan. You can build no. that in, like go easy on yourself. Right. I think that's the thing. We're so hard on ourselves as women generally when we need to give ourselves some grace. Mm, good point. And that's so important. The whole grace piece. It's like, yeah, your stomach is never going to be flat. Yeah, your abs are strong because you can actually do that. But your stomach's not going to be flat anymore. It used to be, but you were like 22. That's not happening no more. (laughs) And it's all good. What is this body doing for you right this minute? Let go of some sort of fantasy of when you were 21, 35, 45, 50 even. You're not there anymore. Why would you want to be back there anyway? you got all kinds of good stuff you could be creating. Exactly. Exactly. And I think... But I think that that requires a lot of acceptance. It's hard to, you know, just going through menopause and noticing changes in my body. Right. Right. That's not the same. It's figuring out how can I accept this? It's not bad. It's just different. Right. And how do I come to embrace that? To your point, my stomach isn't flat anymore. Right. I did a pretty good job for a while, of, <laughs> you know, because I was really into exercise. <laughs> but who cares? Like at the end of the day, whatever. So what? So it's not flat anymore. You know what? We still have vibrant lives. We still are healthy. Right. We're still able to do many different things. So I, I you know, I, I think my perspective as I age is starting to shift and I'm starting to really appreciate that it's okay right, for it to change. It's kind of my decision to just let my hair go gray. That took a minute. Yeah. That's another big one, I think. And it's such a personal choice. I think about the hair because I keep thinking like, oh, you know, I, I, especially during the pandemic when I couldn't go to the hairdresser and it was, you know, and I have, I, and I have a fair amount of gray and I was kind of, not that it mattered because I wasn't seeing anyone anyway. So who cares? <laughs> you know, now I'm kind of back to, all right, I'm going to color it again for now, for now, but I know it's not, it's not permanent. Okay. Right. You know, but I, but I think you have to kind of come to like a lot of things with aging. I feel like it's about coming to terms with things. Right. And you realize that there are things that are way more important. You know, it's like Fred's illness, um, you know, the cancer. You really sort of check yourself about what you just get so worked up about. It's like, wow, you're worked up about that. That is nothing. That is, please give me a break. And I think that that, you know, the fact yoga and meditation has really helped in, in that regard is, well, you know, you are really blessed in way more ways than you think. You don't have a lot of money. People think you do because you're in Spain. People think yeah. you have a lot of money. They're like, oh, my God, you must have a lot of money. I'm like, it is so cheap to live here. It's like we are living primarily on Social Security. And I still work. I mean, I'm still teaching uh, part time, really part time. Uh, online and we still do some consulting and training, but it's not like when we were in the States and we're working, working and making, you know, big giant bucks. Yeah. Nothing like that. So it's like, no, it's just, you know, this is, this is cool. We're, we're chill. We got really good, fresh food we can cook. I can go get all the seafood I want. And it's like fresh out of the, out of the Mediterranean and, you know, we can travel and I'm not spending a lot of money. It's a lot cheaper than people think. A lot less expensive. Which is fascinating because I think, I think that we all are, many of us have this concern about money. Like, will you know, one of the big questions is, will I have enough money in retirement? Certainly. Right. 
you know, we might live a long time. How do I, and maybe I haven't saved enough. So I'm concerned about that. And it does feel like, wow, moving abroad must be expensive. So I, I, you know, kind of have that same idea. So this is very enlightening. I think for a lot of people that might be listening that are thinking, how can I reimagine my life? Right. You know, what are the things I really want to do? And, and that it could be more possible than we think that that possibility really does exist in many different forms, whatever that is, whether it's living abroad or something else that you want to do. So I often think about um, reinventing myself or when anyone reinvents ourselves, I, I think of that as very much of an inside job. And for that, for me, that means I've spent a lot of time, even to have this idea for this podcast, it came to me when I was being very quiet. When So when I get quiet, which could be through you know, my Buddhist practice, through meditation, right. through, mm-hmm. you know, just being in silence. I, I get these, that's often when I get like my best ideas and, you know, creativity kind of, I get these moments. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could do X. What has that been like for you? What have you learned through sort of, re- and I know you said sort of every seven years you've kind of changed, but sort of as, you know, older, as you're older, and you're kind of continuing to reinvent yourself. What has that meant for you? Has that been something that's been more of an inside process or how have you come to some of these things? Definitely an inside process. I think I have a lot of inside chatter. Does that make sense? Yeah. I have like this constant chatter that I'm trying to quiet. Yeah. Like they say monkey mind. How do you quiet your monkey mind? And so I have always been this idea person. Uh, and I've always been one to say, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You just go back doing whatever. Always, always. God, I could, from counseling high school students, starting some businesses, counsel high school students that were looking at colleges to, you name it. Oh, my gosh. But the things that stick for me are those that, uh, how do you pinpoint? You just feel it deep in your spirit. Do you know what you know what I'm saying? I know, I do. Um, you just feel it, and you just know there is the universe is for you and not against you in realizing whatever that is. And so then you just, as you say, you get quiet. Then you just chill, and you watch all of those things be put into place for you, step by step. And as you're stepping in it, I'll say for me, as I'm stepping in it, I go, see, look at how that is working. Step by step, just laid in front of you, just whoop, you didn't even have to worry. I feel the same way. I feel the same way that I I sometimes make it much more difficult than it needs to be. Like I want to kind of control things. I want this to happen. Mm. But I do feel like that when I just can let go and trust the universe, trust that everything is unfolding in a perfect way, even though, you know, that, that often comes with obstacles. Sure. But, so it doesn't mean that it's just smooth sailing and everything falls into place. But I think that those obstacles also, there are always opportunities. Exactly. And that the obstacle, when you say the opportunity, it's like, oh, that's why that happened because now this happened. Yes, exactly. And I know it doesn't feel like it when we're in the middle of it. And it's just like, oh my God, this seems terrible. Like I, I you know, I can sometimes get very stuck on, I can't believe this. This is terrible, you know, but then I always realize it's, it's always been the case for me that in the end, it's always worked out the way it's supposed to. Right. And those obstacles, as you said, were just kind of rerouting us. Uh-huh. Right. 
you know, onto that path, whatever that path is. So I'm right there with you. I want to ask you a little bit about this notion of apologizing, because I hear women apologize a lot for whatever. And I think it's sometimes, I think it's sometimes how we're brought up, how, you know, the culture is that, and it's not that we're, it's not that we're always even conscious about it. Oh, I'm sorry I did that. Or I'm sorry that, you know, that happened, right? It's just sometimes for some of us, not everybody, it can be sort of a default. Mm. Has that, has that ever figured into it for you? Because you're someone to me that I feel like you chart your own course. Mm -hmm. You really are clear about what you want and you work toward that. What advice do you have for women about how they can build this muscle to feel more unapologetic about what they really want. Because mm. I think we put our, you know, we often put our desires, other others' desires in front of our own. So how can women build their unapologetic muscle? Well, you definitely have to flex it. <laughs> you definitely have to flex it. And, and oh, gosh, there's so much about a person's personality and personality doesn't change. You know, we change around it in some ways. We learn how to manage it. I've always been sort of this out there person, but it took a while for me to show it because I was always concerned uh, about what others would think. And I think over time, I just got to a point with, well, you either like me or you don't like me. And it's really a-okay if you don't. It's really fine. Everybody is not going to like me. Everybody, you know, I know that in some ways my personality can be overwhelming for some people. And, and I'll have to temper that, especially as someone who's a clinician. I'll have to, I'll have to temper that fact that, woo, you have to slow your roll a minute because that can really be overpowering. I think for women, it's not a, it's not a simple answer. I guess it's not a simple answer. So much about our history, how we were raised, how we see ourselves, how much we, that grace that you, you talk about, how much grace do we give our, ourselves? How much do you realize Everything that is within you is okay, very strong. You have to find the ways that that comes out for you and be okay with that. And you're going to test it. Like I said, flex. Well, that flex didn't work well. It made my muscles sore. You know, it really hurt a lot. I don't want to break any bones, so maybe I better like back up a minute. But let me try something else. It does mean testing. And when you're faced in in our society where still we still fight for equal pay. We still, I mean, I could go on and on about all the stuff that we, we still fight for. I think when we join forces with one another, it allows us to that muscle to be flexed together. What can I say? And, and you know what I mean? In, I, in do. A way, I do. Yeah. In a supportive kind of way, but it's hard for me to say to a particular individual, I can say what I based on who Sharon Hall Chappelle is, you know, all these pieces that made me up, you know, all these pieces have come to this point where, and I do believe this is true. I, I remember my mother saying this, when you get older, you don't really give a crap what people think. You really don't. 
because you realize what, and it's not a selfish thing. It's, it's in a negative way. It's a selfish thing in a positive way, because I know that I count and I know that I am worthy. And I think so many women have to get to that point. So many women have had messages that you're, you're not worthy. You don't count who are in pain because they, they feel this way. And I would say one thing, if you see somebody that you think has a muscle that is bigger than yours, tap them to support you, be a coach for you, to help you. You don't have to do it alone. I love that. I love the metaphor of flexing your muscle and practicing. It's like anything we practice, we get better. Right. And like like you said, sometimes we try things and they don't work, but we try something else. And I love this idea of, you know, who can you reach out to that could support you, mentor you, coach you, help you? You know, right. just get better at that because I think it's like anything. If we, we were saying earlier, if we decide it's important enough, if we commit to it, exactly, we can we can change any situation. We could get better at anything if we really want to, if we have that desire, right? And and I think that that's the point, and that there are people out there. You know, a lot of there's that stereotype of women are catty and not supportive of one another and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, there are those women out there. They do exist, but there are more people who are willing. If anybody were to ask me, wow, Sharon, you did all this. And I get it a lot. How did you go for your PhD? I'm like, here are the things that you need to do. Now, am I overwhelming you with all these steps? But (laughs) 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 this is what you need to do. Um, I'm all for helping you out. I'm all for, and there are women that are out there that are willing to just, you know, let me be your mentor. You know, yeah. And if if I have it to give, I'm going to give it to you. You know, if you want it, ask me. Um, I don't always know that you want it, you know. So if you don't ask me, how am I supposed to know? So we can find a way is what I hear you saying. There's always a way. What's the bravest thing that you've done as an older, you know, as a thriving older woman? What's what's what would that be? That's a good question. Well, Lisa and I were writing a book. And we had to go Project Adventure and to write the book for Project Adventure. They have what they call the pamper pole. It's called the pamper pole for a reason. And if anybody's ever done ropes course, you know, oh, yeah. you have to, it's a, uh, I would say that's probably one of the bravest things I ever did. It's to beat on belay, belay and do a straight climb up. I don't even know how far it was, but it, I could see the tops of the forest. And then they get on that little bit of platform that's about the size of this computer and then walk to the edge and jump off for a trapeze. That probably would be the bravest thing that I ever did. Physically, physically bravest thing that I've ever done. Oh, I know that. I know what you mean, because I remember doing a ropes course once that very similarly, it was so hard. I was so scared. And I remember after, you know, getting up the courage to do this whole thing you know, a, a pretty high up above ground. When I got down, I, I literally cried. I did too. I, and I couldn't believe though, that I actually could do it. I mean, it built such confidence. Right. I did too. <laughs> like, if I can do this, I can do anything moments, which I think is as women, especially is very empowering when we have that moment right. of like, I am kick-ass. I can yeah. do this. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> if I can do this, I can do anything. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. 
So I want to I want to ask you a couple of final questions. So one of them is about looking ahead. Where do you see yourself in five or ten years? What do you you know, being the energetic and dynamic and thriving person you are, what is what does that look like for you in the future? I don't see myself. I, well, let's put it this way: I do see myself remaining in Europe um, and remaining in Spain. Um, I don't see myself ever coming back to the United States to live. It's just, you know, it's a it's a great fit for me now. I'll say now, but never say never that I won't end up someplace else because I, you know, I have I have this desire actually to go to Nigeria. Did the whole DNA thing, and I'm like eighty something percent. That's a pretty high percentage. Um, Nigerian, and so I'm excited to go. Morocco was nice, and I touched foot on the motherland, but it's not exactly where I want to go. So, right. Um, so, uh, and and traveling, and I know there's this reality of you know you're 67, you say 10 years at 77. I still see myself doing yoga. I still see myself remaining healthy. I still see myself teaching yoga. Um, still see myself doing meditation. I don't think I'll ever stop working. Um, I, I teach online now and it's a, a course here and there, but it keeps me focused in current stuff, for lack of a better way of, of putting it. And I don't see myself, unless they don't want to hire me anymore, I don't see myself where I wouldn't be doing consulting anymore. So it may be different kind of consulting. And I do see myself finally writing a couple of the books that I say I'm going to write. And one is just so easy for me to pull together. I just don't know why I haven't done it. <laughs> I'm procrastinating. I'm seriously procrastinating. I keep a sort of journal, for lack of a better way of putting it, of meditation, my meditation musings. And I have, oh God, hundreds of pictures of sunsets. And I want to do a sort of meditation book or affirmation book. It's so easy for me to pull together. Why I haven't done it is another question. Having <laughs> <So. laughs> other adventures, though. You're having these great adventures. It's- yeah. So that's kind of, you know, where I see myself. And, you know, life can make changes. And we know life can change on a dime. And, you know, we all hope that we're here to do the things that we want to do. And that, you know, those we love are here, too. If that were not the case, I still see myself doing all those things. It's just like, I love that you have this vision of, of continuing to be vibrant, you know, like 10 years from now, I'll be almost 80 and I'm going to be continuing to do the things I love to do, which I think is great because it just shows us that any of us, that we can create a life that we love, that we can, even if we're 80 or we're 90, still do things we enjoy. We don't have to be limited by that. Right. What's your favorite affirmation or bit of inspiration that you might share with listeners that are maybe reinvention rebels in training? They're trying to kind of figure it out, or maybe they already are like kick-ass reinvention rebels that are just living this amazing life, but always like to be encouraged and hear, you know, by other women. Your gut is always right. Listen to your inner teacher. There have been so many times that she has whispered in my ear, but I didn't listen. I regret it. I could tell you the times. And then there are times that I trust that whisper in the ear, however you want to call, but that inner teacher knows more than your current thinking, your current mind, the front part of your brain. It is, she is so recessed in there and she knows 
listen to her and you can't go wrong. I've always said that. I think another one I would say that I've always said to Fred Casco, I don't understand how you could be so positive all the time. I'm always a glass more than half full. I said, because when I was taught, I was raised in a very matriarchal, matrifocal family. And I was taught name it and claim it and it's yours, always. Um, and so on some level, the inner teacher that is there for me, I name it and claim it. Confining this apartment, Fred was due, was recovering from cancer surgery. We were supposed to be here together. I We were supposed to be here together for five days, finding a place and then getting on a ship and taking a transatlantic back to the States. And he couldn't come. It meant cancellation of flights, cancellation of the cruise, everything. And I had to come here by myself, sight unseen, never been to this place before in my life, ever. And I mind traveling by myself, but the pressure of having literally three days to find an apartment in a place where hardly anybody spoke English and find a place to live. I thought I would lose my mind. <laughs> and I said, it, I just relied. I said, I sat in that. That hostile, I'm like, it's going to happen. You will find the right place. The exact right place will be there for you. Literally walked out of the hostel, had zip. And my Spanish sucked. And I'm like, oh, my God, how am I going to do this? And there happened to be a woman. See how the universe will put people in your in place for you. She was African national, Nigerian, interestingly enough, now that I know, who happened to be there, who spoke perfect Spanish and perfect English, and she translated for me. And it and it worked out. We became really fairly close in a hot minute. I don't even know how we shared all this. And I was talking to her about being Nigerian and not knowing your roots. And she's crying because I didn't know my roots. And then I found out. And we're all this is happening in a real estate <laughs> office. This woman says, I have one apartment. Would you like to see it? And the next day I went to see it and it was, this was it. She said, we, it's hard to find this time of year. So inner teacher, follow, you know, it's like, what made me go that way? As opposed to, I've never been down that alley before. <laughs> right. Right. It, it, isn't it so fascinating how if we, if we're open to this, this, right. this guidance, it doesn't have to be so hard, even though I make things hard. Mm-mm. Although I'm, I've gotten much better at that. I think I've, I've you know, come to really embrace that inner wisdom. I love that. That's such an amazing example. And that was the let I was due to, I was due to leave the next day and literally due to leave. I came with things, knowing things that we would need. I bought a bag to leave here. I was not leaving here without a place. Although I had a flight that I knew. I had <laughs> And I had these things and I asked her, she let me leave them there because the apartment wasn't vacant yet. I got to see it, but they had not moved out yet. She let me leave my things. She has been wonderful, 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 wonderful. It's like, what made me? It's like, just trust. It'll work out. I was, you know, like, you're not going to have a panic attack. You've never had one. You thought you might because you need to find a place to live. Our lease was up. We had flights to fly to Spain to a place that we've never been before. That is amazing to me what the two of you, one, what you did by yourself to just go and figure that out and just trust that it was working out and be open to this guidance. But to just trust, you know, both of you that this is just what you were going to do and see how it unfolds and, and how it's really worked out. I know. It's very inspiring. I mean, I think that that's, I think we can all use 
you know, a bit of that kind of inspiration, right? you know, to, yeah. to build our trust and to remind us that, you know, it doesn't matter how old we are, but, you know, even as we age, we can create new possibilities and just go for it. I want people to be able to connect with you. On Instagram, I have three accounts and one is yoga focus and it's Dr. Dreadlocks Yogi, and that's pretty easy to figure out. And then the other one is more focused at um, my coming to, oh God, it's got so much stuff, but there is the one I will share. It's it's my um, black and brown yoga story, which I'm really working on exposing and sharing information around yogis of color and our allies. And so that's another one. And then the other one is Dr. Expat uh, Yogi. And that's really my expat kind of stuff, food and travel pictures, um, you know, sort of daily life kind of thing. So that's where you can find me until I sort of get my act together and get my YouTube thing going. I think your act is already really together. I mean, the fact that you have these already three different places on just on Instagram where people can follow you and and get like I I and I have to say I find it very inspiring looking at the food that you make, looking at the yoga that you do. I think that's so key so that other, you know, people of color that do yoga, they can feel like they're not alone and that there's right a community of others. Maybe we aren't all together. Um, but that you can, you know, I like being able to now we can connect with anybody anywhere. And that's this is great. And then we're going to look forward to your YouTube channel one day. Yes. Yes. When I get it together, it's really going to be focused on sort of making this transition to be um, an expat, but it'll have other things in there, but I just haven't worked out exactly. So it doesn't feel so amorphous and not really focused. Breath in it. I love it. I love it. This has been awesome. I'm so appreciative. Hey, amazing listener loving what you're hearing? If the Reinvention Rebels podcast has you feeling downright revelicious and ready to embrace your inner Reinvention Rebel, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Are you tired of waiting for someday? Feel like you're too old or it's too late to reinvent yourself? Unsure of how you'd even get started on the path to midlife reinvention? I'm here to help. As your guide on the side and host of the top 2% globally rated Reinvention Rebels podcast, I've been around the reinvention block a lot. Here's a simple way you can get started. Sign up for my free audio, Five Questions to Spark Your Curiosity and Inspire Your Reinvention Rebel Journey. It all starts with getting curious about what's possible. And I've got five questions to help tease out some very cool ideas. Let's get started. Details are in the show notes.